Goldman Sachs, you know, accused of being the vampire squid on the face of humanity. They leave. Uh, commercial banks all leave. Accounting firms leave. And when you see law firms on the other side of that sort of ethical line, like that now is, you know, with Koch brothers and another set of uh, clients that are just doubling down on Russia, it's it's surprising. Uh, and for for me, disappointing. From Stanford University and Sirius XM, this is Stanford Legal. I'm Rich Ford. And I'm Joe Bankman. Today we're talking with Rob Daines, Associate Dean of Stanford Law School, about some of the law firms still doing business with Russia as a war with Ukraine continues. You know, Rich, a lot of us face moral dilemmas, large and small, every day. And one of the ones that's come up, I think, for me and many of us is what should we do about the war in Ukraine? Should we be donating anything? Should we be volunteering? Should we make our voices heard? No, that's right. I have friends that are doing work in Ukraine, and I've donated money to their um, institutions to try to help refugees in Ukraine and try to help the situation there. And, you know, another big moral dilemma involves people who are doing business in Russia and directly or indirectly supporting Putin and the regime that's causing so much human devastation. So, you know, we've seen a lot of companies start to divest their business interest in Russia or stop doing business there uh, in order to avoid supporting this war effort. That's right, Rich. And we're talking with our colleague Rob Daines about what he's doing to track what lawyers are doing given the events in the Ukraine and Russia. That's right. And law firms are facing some distinctive moral dilemmas. There are uh, distinctive issues involving the practice of law and the way law firms are structured that make those issues perhaps look a little bit different. But nevertheless, they're in most ways the similar kind of moral dilemmas that we all face with respect to this and that many other businesses have faced with respect to continuing to do business in Russia. And today we're talking with Rob Daines, a Pritzker Professor of Law and Business, an Associate Dean, and a Senior Fellow for the Rock Center on Corporate Governance at Stanford. And Rob, we're talking about the role of lawyers post Putin's Russians invasion of Ukraine. And can you give us some background on that? Sure. I started tracking public statements from law firms about what they were doing for Russian state entities and Russian firms after the invasion, when I noticed that hundreds and hundreds of uh, big industrial firms and banks and accounting firms had announced that they were going to leave uh, Russia and were no longer going to work for Russian clients. Um, and so I've, I've been tracking what, law, what lawyers do. And the short version is we know something, but not a lot. A lot of uh, British law firms and a lot of U.S. law firms uh, do a lot of work for Russian entities and oligarchs and banks. Um, so, and you see people all over the spectrum. Uh, some do it a lot and some do very little and are saying nothing about it. And Rob, you have a list somewhere and we'll, we'll post this list for our viewers and listeners. But the list is of the biggest law firms that you've you've polled and you've asked them what they're doing. And as I look at the list, 
Only a very few of the biggest law firms say, are willing to say, we're not working for Russia. That's right. We've, um, we've tracked whether firms have announced that they no longer will work for Russian clients or uh, won't work in the future for Russian clients. And um, right now there are maybe four or five law firms of the of the top 100 U.S. law firms that are clearly committed to a position like that. And uh, actually tomorrow we're going to do announce a similar list for the largest uh, British law firms. But you'll see that maybe 15 law firms have said something pretty clear about their commitment. Um, most are silent. And then there's about a third of the law firms that have said something that uh, might be described as ambiguous or carefully worded or, you know, my kids would call it uh, some of them weaselly uh, descriptions of what they plan to do. So uh, there are probably 10 that have said, you know, we're out and here's the conditions and here's why. Wow. And of those 10, Rob, do you have um, any sense of how many or what percentage um, did business with Russia and are saying, hey, we had this lucrative business with Russia and now we're going to cut it off, taking a strong moral stance? And how many, you know, never did business with Russia anyway? Or is there a mix there? That's a, that's a great distinction. Like, um, if I if I've never done business with Russia, it's pretty cheap for me to say I, I won't. Exactly. Right. So there are a couple a couple of firms uh, are like that, although even that's, I think, valuable for firms to announce uh, we're not going to do business with uh, Russian firms because of our opposition to Putin. We don't want to support that war effort. That's still helpful, I think, in sort of forming a norm or exerting some pressure on uh, firms that do. Um, I'd say most are in the category you described. But there are a couple, there's one firm, Norton Rose, that's actually made a pretty strong commitment. And they did uh, a lot of business with Russia before and uh, ran into a lot of trouble actually because they, they announced what looked like a policy that none of their uh, lawyers were allowed to criticize Russia or talk about Russian sanctions. It was like a gag order is what it looked like to people. and so. They were a one far end of the Putin supporting law firms is what it looked like. I mean, people were criticizing him for that. And but now I've taken a pretty strong stand uh, against future doing future Russian work. So there are there are firms that have incurring real costs to uh, show opposition to uh, the Russian war here. There are some firms that are heroes and that they're incurring real costs, and other firms that are helping things along by taking moral stands that might cost some money in the future. But overall, yeah. most law firms seem to be not willing to take any stand on this at all, if I read your list right. And of the firms that are taking stands, a lot of them aren't losing very much, which suggests that the firms that are doing a lot of business for Russia are probably still doing a lot of business for Russia. I think that's true. I mean, there's no doubt that the firms that did a lot of business with Russia are, are going to be doing less from what I can see. But how much of that is 
they're doing less because sanctions forbid them from doing less. And then others are voluntarily walking back their commitment out of a uh, desire to not facilitate you know, the Russian economy. Um, if you, I've, I've looked at a lot of these law firm policy dis, uh, disclosures now. And, and uh, initially, I read them and I think, oh, firm X, they're out of Russia. They're, they're committed. They're, you know, they're going to walk away from money to do the right thing. And then over time, it, I would uh, learn to read these with a little more jaundiced eye. I, I got tips to say law firm X is actually doing uh, a lot of work for Russian Bank Y, or they're representing them in litigation. I'd go back and I think, well, uh, let me reread that disclosure to see if they've, uh, if, they've if they're going to stop. And I would notice well, that disclosure that gives the impression of backing out actually carefully preserves their ability to keep representing firm uh, X or Y. And so it's, uh, there's less, there's not much there in terms of law firm commitments. And I'm sorry to say there's probably even less than meets the eye. <laughs> so typical lawyers drafting things very carefully and you've got to read the fine print. Um, and, and this seems to be uh, different than a lot of other American businesses, a lot of other European businesses um, that have in fact renounced their work with Russia or even big accounting firms that are kind of analogously situated in a lot of ways to law firms that have said they're pulling out of Russia. Um, is that right, that law firms seem to be kind of in a distinct category of refusing or resisting doing that? I think that's right. Um, and I, I think what um, is interesting is why. So, I mean, when you, when there's a presented with an ethical challenge where there's, you know, there's money over here to be made, uh, but you find most of the big Western industrial companies running away from that, running from the ethical challenge. You have uh, Goldman Sachs, you know, accused of being the vampire squid on the face of humanity. They leave, uh, <laughs> commercial banks all leave, accounting firms leave. And when you see law firms on the other side of that sort of ethical line, like that now is, you know, with Koch brothers and another set of uh, clients that are just doubling down on Russia, it's it's surprising. Uh, and for for me, disappointing. Um, so you have to ask why, you know, why are law firms so slow, Rich? I think it's part of what you're saying. Uh, and uh, you could say, well, it's just greed. Law firms are greedy. It's the lawyers are just uh, reluctant to give up the cash if there's money to be made. Um, there's a little more optimistic story, and that's that um, maybe law firms are less hierarchical. You know, Goldman, if the one person at the top of Goldman says we're out, then everybody has to follow and they're out. But law firms are maybe loose partnerships, and, uh, you know, if I'm in Russia making money and you and Joe want to leave, but it hurts me, you, maybe you can't make me leave as easily, so maybe the law firm is slower to force uh, force out uh, or unable to compensate the individual partners who would lose from that decision. That's what a that's a possibility that makes me a little more optimistic maybe. I wonder about is there any argument and this goes to how sanctions work in general, but maybe to the responsibility of lawyers too, 
that you know you're already representing a client and that you have an ethical duty to the client. Do we hear that at all? And how do you see that? You know, of, of course, of that, that kind of maxim in lawyerly representation that you have to stick with your client. Usually, lawyers with big institutions don't even think about that because generally, they're thrilled to stick with big clients like this. But how do you see, does that cut at all? Does that defend what the lawyers are doing at all? Yeah, uh, partially. So you might say, oh, it's easy for McDonald's to leave Moscow. They just pick up and run and you know, you can sell your hamburger somewhere else. Uh, but law firms are different. It's a noble profession. If I've picked up on this client, I, I just can't leave them in the lurch. You know, they'll end up in real trouble. And I think that's true, both as a, you know, economic matter, they might need you and as ethical rules might compel you to keep representing your client. Uh, there's no doubt that's right. So we've been trying to take a look at what law firms will do when they're not bound by that. That is, I have to keep representing you, Joe, but I, I don't have to go find uh, new clients from Russia. So I'm perfectly happy to say, yeah, you'll keep representing X, uh, but A, have you committed not to go get new business? And very few of the firms that are representing the big uh, current client are promising not to go get new clients. So that makes me a little cautious. The other thing is, even if I need to keep, if I'm the big law firm and I'm saying, I'm, I'm not just being greedy, I have to keep working for this client because I'm compelled. I, my ethical commitments compel me. Well, there are two things. One is ethical commitments don't make you keep all the money you earn, right? If you're earning profits from this, you could say, we're gonna give the profits to Ukrainian refugees. And then maybe you're doing the good work, right? You're taking cash from the oligarch and you're handing it to the, you're making the money, doing the work and then handing it to Ukrainian refugees. That's great, that's, that's good work. We're happy to cheer for that. Uh, and so, or you could say, you know, ethical rules compel me to keep working for this current client, but I'm going to try to get out of it over time. And so we're uh, contacting firms to say, you know, if you're representing with a current client, you know, let us know if either of these two other things apply. Are you willing to get out over time? Are you committing to do anything with the profits? And, you know, maybe it's just because I'm an irrelevant professor, but mostly we've mostly we're greeted with silence or more ambiguous disclosures. Wow. I'm thinking of the kind of work that people might do for a country like Russia or for Russian companies. And, and maybe just let's get a deeper feel for what's happening there. I'm thinking I could be representing maybe Aeroflot, the Russian airline. I assume that's an arm of the government, owned by the government. And I could be about to represent them before some hearing that would probably be a stronger pull for me to make sure they have representation at the hearing. But I might be doing things like drawing up contracts for landing rights. That would seem to me less compelling that I couldn't quit doing that. Uh, what are some of the other things that I might be doing if I'm working for Russia or a Russian company? Well, we've seen a little bit of a variation when law firms answer sometimes in email 
And uh, so we've tried to keep track of uh, the reasons people give, some of which seem perfectly valuable and laudable. So like uh, one firm sent us a note that saying, you know, we're, we're going to keep working in Russia because we have clients that are resisting Putin's government or we have LGBTQ clients that we want to keep helping. And we said, yeah, great. And any firm that does that, Joe, we've sort of carved out and they, they still get like the gold star certification. They'll, they'll still go in our top uh, category, which is so coveted, of course. Uh, but if you're just helping um, a big, you know, Aeroflot or let's say a, a big bank get a better interest rate or access to different capital markets, that's that seems much less a morally com, uh, compelling case. So we're trying to carve out the we're just trying to carve out greed versus trying to make the world a better place. Now, sometimes those are uh, perfectly in sync, but uh, this is a case where they look like it's uh, there's some easy calls to be made. We'll be back with more with Rob Danes next on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132. So, Rob, one of the things that you've been looking at is why law firms might be different than some of the other large businesses that have pulled out of Russia. And you mentioned that law firms have a decentralized decision-making structure, so it may be hard to pivot quickly. Uh, you know, another thing is that law firms have a decentralized compensation structure in some contexts. Could you talk a little bit about how that might affect the ability of the law firms to exit Russia? Yeah, I think that might be what's going on. Maybe it's maybe I'm just a sucker for optimistic stories of, that it's not just craven lawyers look slow to exit because uh, grabbing all the money they can find. Um, but I think what happens is most firms uh, compensate lawyers basically on an eat what you kill uh, contract. So if you have a lot of business, say, in Russia and, and I'm doing utility work in Texas, you're going to make money and you're going to lose money from the Russian sanctions. And so um, I may have strong positions and feeling that we should not be doing business with Russia. But that's easy for me to say because it doesn't cost me anything and it would gut, let's say, your practice in this example. So as a result, um, it might be that the, you have control over who you're going to take and you might be slow to want to exit and you can think of some mix of good reasons or bad reasons to keep doing business. And now if you and I are in the same firm, the whole firm will be seen as doing business in Russia when it's really just you. Uh, and uh, sorry, you're the bad guy in my hypo. I'm the virtuous guy. Of course, it's my hypo. Um, and so um, and unless I can pay you to leave, unless I can write you a check to say thanks for giving up your clients, then we might just keep doing business with Russians. That's you could see how that could be very tricky, because it's one thing to say, look, five percent of your business is in Russia give up the 5% and you you know that's a that's a small sacrifice to pay for this humanitarian cause. Um, it may be very different if 90% of my work is in Russia and you're saying hey rich yeah. you give up 90% of your income maybe indefinitely maybe for the next several yeah. years 
Um, and there's no structure in place to compensate me so that it's only 5% of the firm's work, but it's 90% of my work. Um, yeah. That's hard. And, and if there's no way to make me do it and compensate me, then I'm going to stay in Russia, perhaps. I think that's right. You know, often in law, we think that the people should make decisions who bear all the costs and all feel all uh, all the benefits. Th those are the people should make decisions. And so if you bear all the costs and benefits, then you might want to stay uh, or you bear all the benefits of continued work. Whereas like at Goldman or McDonald's, maybe there's some advantages in cases like this from the CEO to be able to say, you know, no, what it's it's just the right thing. And I, I'm not going to feel the pain myself, but I I can announce the firm position or I can take all the costs and benefits into into consideration. I think that's I think that's right. Oh, so I guess another thing that might be in play is the lawyers are used to dealing with unpopular clients. And there's a sense in which the culture of lawyers is such that they might even see it as virtuous to take on unpopular clients. And that might bleed over even into an area where perhaps it's less defensible. You know, it's one thing to take on an unpopular client in a trial. Everyone deserves a defense. Yeah. It's another thing to take on an unpopular client in this context where it's really just a matter of making money and getting some transaction to go forward. But it could bleed over, I suppose. I, I think it's exactly right. We're. Uh... We might be a little too quick to wrap ourselves in our, you know, professional virtue. I protect the downtrodden. Well, that's that's hard to substitute Russian oligarch or giant bank for, you know, the downtrodden or the accused. I, I think you're exactly right. Rob, we're talking about motives and motives of lawyers for wanting to leave or wanting to keep Russian business. How about your motives? How did you get started on this cause, which seems like a great cause to me, but then I'm not doing it. I wasn't moved to do it, uh, <laughs> though I've thought about what I can do for the Ukraine, like I think many of us have. Tell us a little bit about your background on this. Academically, I'm kind of like I do law and finance and corporate governance. So, um, you know, this isn't right in the core of what I usually do. I paid more attention to this because I have a son who's now a freshman at Stanford who just returned from living in two years, uh, for two years in Ukraine and Moldova. And so I, I, I've gotten to know a bunch of Ukrainians. I saw their kindness to him during the pandemic. He lived there during the pandemic. And I just saw their warmth and creativity and uh, compassion. So I, I paid attention when bombs started dropping and people started dying. and I. I have this friend who is a member of parliament who's, you know, eight and a half months pregnant and when the war starts and she happened to be in Washington, D.C. and she's running around, you know, well, not running at eight and a half months pregnant, but, you know, walking around the hill trying to lobby for protection to help her country. And I was so impressed by her hope, you know, this combination of new life into the world at the same time, you know, Ukraine and many people are dying and getting bombed that I thought, I ought to be able to do something to help. I'm curious, you know, how's my profession doing? And I would like to to do something to increase the awareness or some pressure on these giant corporate law firms that are, you know, knowingly or not knowingly or for good reasons that Rich pointed out or not, are kind of helping to finance this industrial base that is killing Ukrainians. And so I thought this, you know, I got to do something. 
And so I just thought I'd, uh, I contacted a friend, John Coates at Harvard and Ian Ayers at Yale. And I said, you know, would you guys be interested in tracking this as a research question? And maybe it has some public policy payoff. So I guess like most things, it's kind of a personal uh, motivation. And I, I got to know people and then I, so I cared and uh, wanted to try to do something. It's particularly real for you. Are the people you know okay? I mean, is that something that you follow? Do you get reports or is there kind of radio silence, so to speak? It, there's been a mix. Uh, most of the people my family knows have fled Kiev or uh, cities around that and are now kind of in the west of Ukraine kind of going from place to place, maybe with, you know, with gra grandmas, frankly, and older relatives. And um, they kind of go radio silent every so often. And so far they've been, my particular friends have been safe, but you know, over the last couple of days, it's gotten a little tougher. Um, so it's, it's more them dealing with the uh, pain of losing friends and countrymen. Uh, so I know friends, uh, friends who are, have died in the war, uh, but it's just, you know, watching a, a third of their country fled in the last three weeks. Imagine what that would have to be like for a third of the people, you know, on Stanford campus to just run, uh, leave home and friends and family. Just it's uh, it, it's been tough. It's been really tough. It's this mix of despair and hope. And that's what the Ukrainians have really managed to teach me a little bit and try to focus on the hope. Uh, in a really tough situation. That's so moving, Rob. I... Well, it's such a compelling... Yeah, so my friend, uh, I'll do, we can end on a, maybe a positive note. My uh, friend, the, the woman who was eight and a half months pregnant, sent me pictures on Sunday of uh, a, a brand new little baby girl. Uh, and, you know, somehow that's uh, the idea that there's life and hope uh, she has this amazing family who's going to create a nice world for her as uh, even as, you know, Russian bombs are falling all around her homeland. It's just this braiding of pain and hope in this really painful way. Thank you so much, Rob. That's such a moving way to end. And you're doing great work to try to keep our profession on the right side of history and on the right side of this important moral issue. Um, so Thank you so much for joining us here on Stanford Legal on Sirius XM. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks to Rob Danes. I'm Joe Bankman for Rich Ford, and this is Stanford Legal on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132.